I want to come home. I don't want to be here anymore. It's too hard. The grass is taller than my head. And the rocks are at my feet. And there's no trail. And I want some beer. I just want to cuddle in with my husband and be warm. Well, actually, I'm really, really hot right now. I want to be warm. I'd crank the air conditioning totally on high. <laughs> I think I've completely lost it. I'm not really sure why I'm doing this at all. And I've come so far. I'm almost at 20. You're listening to The P-Rag, Unfiltered Adventures of the Blissful Hiker. I'm Allison Young, the Blissful Hiker, sometime professional flutist, sometime voice artist, and full-time pedestrian. Like the small backpacking essential of the same name, The P-Rag shares the unglamorous but vital truth about empowerment as badass people who really don't need permission to blaze our own trails in this journey we call life. Thanks so much to Lecky Trekking Poles for supporting the P-Rag podcast. If you want to be a blissful hiker, Lecky should be in your hands. Also, Belega, makers of the best blister-resist, non-slouching, foot-massaging socks for the long haul. It's day 99 of my first through-hike, New Zealand's Te Araroa. 3,000 kilometers from Cape Renga to Bluff. And oddly, it was a gorgeous day without a single cloud in the sky. But I was hot, tired. The trail was not really a trail, just orange-tipped poles suggesting a route in too tall grass that obscured them anyway. The rocks, the constantly wet feet, and the relentlessness left me exhausted. It didn't help that a couple of Kiwi trappers were rude and unwelcoming. But at least I laugh at myself at that breakdown, and it only takes a little candy to change my mood. But first, Tom and I need to cross the Rangatata River and climb a few thousand feet, descend it, then climb it all over again to get to Crooked Spur Hut. The wind dies down at night, and the possums come out, climbing the tree above the alley coop, chattering to each other. Neil told me it was a furrier in the 1930s who randomly freed his captives, causing an intractable nightmare on New Zealand's birds. I pull everything inside the alley coop. It's cool and the stars are bright. The sun finally pinkens the mountains on a clear morning. Fog gathers on the river we'll soon cross. Tom is up early, wanting to hitch down the road to a small mountain used in Lord of the Rings. Our sneakers crunch gravel toward Mount Sunday, or Aloris, its hulk in sight but many kilometers away. Our ears hope for the sounds of a car, but none come. Black cows look on curious, steam exiting their nostrils. Jagged peaks with huge glaciers appear as we close in, and we cross a fast-moving, sparkly clear stream with signs describing the miracle of salmon returning thousands of miles to this very stream from the deep ocean to spawn. 
The trail hits a swing bridge, then straight up a small mountain named for a local herdsman sharing a weekly meeting with a view. I breathe hard, but head up fast to a stunning view of snaking rivers, mountains, and high country, cows mooing all around us in stereo. It's magical in the morning air, and even though Lord of the Rings is not quite my thing, I'm glad I made the time to come and share something with Tom, who's been looking after me these past few days. We snap pictures and enjoy the solitude, then study away across the huge expanse of the Rangatata River, realizing the only way is to return up the road, fingers crossed this time for a hitch. The way out feels longer, as now many cars fly down towards the mountain, likely from a nearby resort. Well, our timing was perfect, insofar as we had it all to ourselves. A truck comes the other way, and I stick out my thumb. He speeds past, coating me with dust. (laughs) Ah, well, some people are generous, and others not so. He has to live with himself, I think. Another truck comes by and slows to a stop. This lovely Kiwi with the sweetest dog says he's only going 100 meters. But he gives us some beta on the cross. We feel reassured it should be no big deal as we begin our journey at his fence line. The river disappears from sight as we walk for many kilometers on a huge flat expanse of rock and low bushes, high enough that I need to take giant steps to bushwhack forward. I can see where we need to go far in the distance, just as we come to the truck that passed us and two fishermen. I really don't like it when I get this way, but I can't stop myself from engaging them. Are you Americans, I ask? We're from the UK originally. And you passed us? Yes. Well, thanks a lot. (laughs) I then step into the first of many swift-moving streams, water to mid-thigh. I should have just let it go, but they ought to know it's not polite to pass a woman hiker with her thumb out, even if they're all fancied up in their fly fishing gear. The trouble is, my irritation doesn't stop there, and it festers. They're not stopping is nothing personal, but I take it personally anyway, and I allow it to color my day. Fortunately, the river sucks up all my attention as I steady my footing and move like a crab through the relentless press of millions of gallons of water. Each braid of river, stream, and streamlet is just one chapter of this humongous crossing. There's rocks, as I've mentioned, pushed down by flooding all very hard on the feet. There's thorny plant material, sand, and also quicksand mushy like a jello mold that will suck you right in. There are also feral rabbits leaving holes everywhere as well as droppings everywhere too. My feet are soaked from multiple crossings, but I've yet to reach a real piece of the Rangatata. That would be a light chalky blue and fast moving section. Here I can't see the bottom and my heart begins to beat fast. Neil also told me that the lighter color means it's deep. There's something terrifying being all the way out on this vastness with just one band of blue blocking my passage. Tom and I move upriver to look for a suitable crossing and find one braided with rocks on long V-shaped peninsulas. He steps in, moving like Frankenstein, water to his knees. 
At the rocky stopping point, he stabs the water and his pole goes down almost to the handle. He finds a small bridge of stones going upstream and changes course, moving slowly, but reaching the other side easily. Then it's my turn, and I step in and immediately feel a tug that wants to pull me under. I press forward and aim myself in the direction he finishes. He wades in to give me a hand, but I press on and complete the cross on my own, laughing from the adrenaline rush, thrilled to have mastered the moves I needed. Wasn't so bad. I ask Tom how he knows where to go, and he shrugs, telling me, it's just water. It was not scary, it was just deep. He explains (laughs) that he was raised on water and knows when it's truly dangerous. Three more silty blue crossings, and we're through with the river, but by no means the riverbed, which causes me no end of awkward stepping and exhausted walking. Did I mention it's scorching hot? And surprisingly, the water isn't that cold. It takes ages to get to the other bank, then work our way south to the trailhead. I'm exhausted as we arrive at Bush Stream. I walk up a jeep track, but notice an orange pole right in the middle of the riverbed. I head to it and plunge myself back in rocky purgatory. Tom is ahead and tells me he avoided that ridiculous trail marker. I stay close to him after that, and it's a river walk of boulders and crossings, this time in a fast-moving stream at a much greater incline. The gal with a shaved head, random braids, and multiple tattoos catches up to us. Her name is Tina, a German living in New Zealand, with an easygoing nature and a big smile. Fortunately, this time she's on her own without the posse of nine hikers. We chat as we come to a point where the trail shoots straight up since the river hits an impassable canyon. There's barely enough ground to make contact. I'm focused, my head down, while she takes a better trail, and I'm left on a ledge, a nightmare descent on greased ball-bearing stones to get back to her. The stream is gushing, powerful and musical, but the truth is it's low, so we might have skipped that uphill bit and simply walked in the river. But when I attempt it in the next section, I come to boulders and multiple mini waterfalls. Tom goes right in and lends a hand through it. I'm wet to my navel. I'm absolutely loving it. There's more rock hopping and route finding before the trail shoots up again for 1,200 steps. Yup, I counted them, to keep focused and to not stop. But truthfully, going up is my forte. The view down to the Rangitata and the snaky bush in its gorge is spectacular, as are the spiky mountains ahead. But this trail is just a bypass and heads straight back down to the stream, crosses it in rapids, then heads straight back up, finally to a saddle, then a meadow, and the hut awaiting my tired self. Ma and Pa Harmer gave me crackers and salmon, which I saved for a little celebration for today's achievement. The American New Zealander Ryan is here, as are two Kiwis, one a runner wearing a Medtronic device. She tells me she was invited to participate in the Twin Cities Marathon. Tina's here as well, and we all sit in the sun at our spectacular perch until it sets, turning the sky pink. 
Tomorrow promises altitude and views and perhaps a more forgiving heart, as well as one filled with pride for all I accomplished today. What an adventure to cross the hazard zone and to push through when tired, and also to have the flexibility to say yes to checking out something on Tom's to-do list. The hut is all tucked in now and softly snoring, and it's time for me to join in the chorus. You're listening to The P-Rag, Unfiltered Adventures of the Blissful Hiker. I share stories of walking long-distance trails as a solo middle-aged female hiker in hopes of empowering you to learn to hike your own hike, too. You can subscribe to The P-Rag wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're listening on Apple, leave a review and a rating that helps the show get discovered. The morning begins with the Kiwi couple talking, rustling their plastic food bags, and letting the door bang shut over and over. Is it just an oversight, as the sun is not yet up and the four of us TA hikers are still sound asleep? Well, Alan and Carol from Dunedin, the gal even coming to St. Paul to run the Twin Cities Marathon, well, it seems they actually resent us. Alan actually gives himself away by asking how many more of us are coming and that he'd never seen so many hiking the trail. He takes extra delight in warning us of rain tomorrow, just as we'll cross Stag Saddle, the TA's highest point with views for miles of New Zealand's highest peaks. What makes people become so ugly they disturb our desperately needed sleep to prove a point? What point could that be, that the hut belongs to them? It's so weird. I was friendly and polite last night, and I engaged them in conversation. It just makes no sense. Alan and Carol from Dunedin leave early, and Ryan shows me an entry they left in the intentions book that singles out TA hikers for the rubbish that was left in the fireplace. Well, not this hiker, and I doubt many others, as most backpackers are steeped in leave-no-trace mentality. It's just poor form to use this important book, the Intentions Book, one designed for statistical purposes and to trace lost hikers, to lodge an accusation at a class of trampers with no proof whatsoever. Their bad manners are just totally out of line. Ryan has lived here a long time and says it's only the old and cranky people who tramp anymore. But the two Kiwis, I tell him, are exactly my age, and I certainly hope I don't behave like that. If they don't like us TA hikers, then just tramp on other trails. Tom and I set off first. It's good track at first of stubby grass and scree, but then 500 meters straight up in only two kilometers. And I lead up, controlling my breathing and dislodging my hurt and frustration with each step. I'm thrilled with my strength and that my body allows me to do this one thing that I do so well, go up. At the saddle, we grab a drink and survey what's beyond, which is more of these desolate mountains rolling out before us in two tones of dusty dry yellow and chalky exfoliating gray. What goes up must come down, and in New Zealand, it's usually the shortest distance between two points. But this time, it's on awesome spree, only for a few hundred meters, mind you, but absolute heaven jumping in piles of rock as I descend. 
This leads to a firm track on grass, and I get my hopes up I can carry on this way all the way to Stag's Saddle. But those hopes are soon dashed, as I come upon Tussock as high as me. Any trail disappears completely, as do the marking poles, and I thrash through it using my sticks to determine if there's a hole under the fronds. I fall in one on a steep ascent, I slip on one and smash into a rock, and then I stub my toe on one and my mood gets worse. It's agonizingly slow progress up and over small saddles and right back down again and then rinse and repeat. The sun is relentless too, cooking me and sucking at my energy. I finally come over a last hump before I see Stone Hut ahead over a little bridge. It's such a perfect little spot in a bend in the river. I purify water in a babbling stream and sit in the soft, dry grass with a light breeze at my back, not one sandfly in the vicinity. It's absolute bliss. But when I leave, I start to walk up the stream and immediately lose the orange pole markers, crossing the river multiple times up and down steep banks. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is when I hit my wall. <laughs> I sit down, and Tom catches up, and I tell him I can't go any further, at least no further than the next hut. And he's actually pleased, knowing we could go for the saddle if we wanted to, but he's just not really wanting to. It's hot, blue sky with not a single cloud nor a single tree for shade, and my body is screaming to rest. But honestly, it's my heart and will that needs a rest. Everything I've accomplished so far is like a giant blur. I can't remember anymore why I'm doing this thing called the Teodoroa. My bliss just empties out, like the air in my thermarest when I open the valve. I think I've completely lost it. As I cry alone in this lonely spot, I notice that there's a waterfall in the dry mountainside. I can't see the water as much as hear it, but what I do see is what I might call a flower fall, bright yellow against gray. Director and screenwriter Catherine Bigelow said, I believe there's hope because the breakdown and the repair are happening simultaneously. Yellow is such a joyous color, and I suddenly feel just a little bit better. I'm a very fortunate middle-aged woman, fortunate to have the money, to have the time, and to have the opportunity to take on this challenge, fortunate to be married to a guy who supports my crazy ideas completely and with love and care, fortunate to still be walking strongly after so many days and so many Ks, and fortunate that my young friend Tom also wants to stop early and risk that maybe tomorrow the weather isn't going to be that good. It's only a half an hour before I reach the hut, set in a wide valley with forbidding mountains looking on. I grab a first-floor bunk and head to the stream to submerge myself in its icy contents, and then I hang out in the shade with Tina, who offers me gummy candies, cookies, a hunk of chocolate, and a bit of fresh avocado. I'm feeling fully revived now, laughing with this funky, tattooed woman who takes herself far less seriously than I take myself. Sealing the deal is a desperately needed nap, and Tina points out later 
that my mouth was wide open in that nap, like a vampire. Thanks so much for listening to The P-Rag. The P-Rag is now on Patreon, giving you an opportunity to support my podcast creation. Beginning in mid-June, I'll walk the Continental Divide Trail from the Canadian border to Mexico, through Montana, Wyoming, Colorado, and New Mexico. And I'll collect sounds, interview people I meet along the way, and bring you along on the adventure. As a supporter on Patreon, you'll have access to exclusive content and the good feeling of supporting a thru-hiker artist. You can find out more about supporting the podcast at thepirag.com. Next week, it's up and over the highest point on the Teararoa at Stag Saddle. And guess what? That mean guy from Dunedin was not right. We have fabulous weather looking toward Mount Cook and the turquoise water of Lake Tikapo. Until then, my friends, kia kaha and happy trails. <laughs>